Professional wrestling is the one true sport. Other sports have their share of intense dramatic moments, but nothing can compare with professional wrestling. Welcome to Wrestling History X, where three friends come together to talk about the stories behind the matches. I'm Matt. I'm Bert Hart. And I'm the 420 Kid. Welcome to episode 176, In Your House 5. Season's Beatings. Sounds naughty. (laughs) Were you on the naughty list? I was a good kid. Sometimes, maybe. I don't know. In 95, no. I, I moved out and was on my own, so. I was probably pretty then You good. definitely yeah. were probably on the not list. <laughs> yeah, I was definitely still a, a good kid in 95. Well, this was the fifth in your house, produced by WWF. It would take place on December 17th, 1995, from the Hershey Park Arena in Hershey, Pennsylvania, with an attendance of 7,289 people. Woo! So it's right next to decent for a in your house. Yeah, that's not normal for a B level pay per view for WWF. Yeah, it's the A level for WCW. So hey, we had a couple big numbers uh, before everyone got hella tired of Hogan. We had like a thirteen or a (laughs) thirteen or uh, maybe a thirteen or (laughs) fourteen thousand at one point within the last year or two. Yeah, I don't know, but yeah, this is typically a, a, a good. WCW. Is this where the Hershey's Place Chocolate Factory is? Yes. I believe so. Shane would probably know better than I, because yep. he's probably done more research about yeah. Hershey, oh, yeah. Pennsylvania. A little bit. Because um, he has to figure out what kind of food to bring us. Exactly. Oh, food. Here we are again. I thought I was going to get to escape Pennsylvania, but nope. We just jumped to a different town. Yeah, we're uh, in Hershey, PA, from the Hershey Park. I was looking at, I was trying to find like a signature cocktail for Hershey's, and you know, obviously you type in cocktail in Hershey, it brings up like chocolate martini and whatnot, and like, nah, I don't want to do that. That sounds awful. I mean, I've had some that are fairly tasty, but it just did not sound like anything I wanted to drink today, plus I was more wanting to eat something, so I started looking up what are the best burgers in the Hershey area and it brought up this like, awesome picture of this big juicy looking burger clicked on it and it said it was from a place called The Mill in Hershey. I believe their menu has changed since that burger was on there though because when I looked it up the menu description didn't really have anything that matched what that picture showed. Yeah, The picture showed like crispy onions and stuff and their new one has like lettuce and tomato and barbecue. but. I wanted to find something that was similar to what that burger made me think it would taste like in the picture, so I went to my friends here at Red Prime Steakhouse in Oklahoma City and ordered the Red Burger. It's a uh, thick Angus patty. I had it cooked to uh, 
Chef's Choice. It's topped with... It's a 10-ounce Creekstone Black Angus. It has a butter case, Frenched onions. Came with a, a white remoulade, a bone marrow bordelaise, and then some Parmesan fries with a little truffle mayo. Super juicy burger. The uh, the bordelaise was like nice and kicking. Had some chunks of onion, and apparently it's made of bone marrow. So yeah, we're gonna be extra strong. Is that what bone marrow does? I don't know. I don't know. I know people started drinking like bone broth a couple of years ago. Oh yeah. I don't know why though. It's got that extra protein cartilage and whatnot that yeah. you know you can maybe it's a keto thing i don't know <laughs> you got me ah uh, but yeah red prime steak good burger i've had steaks there before i've had crab cakes from there before i've had seared scallops they've got some pretty delish uh I've green chili mac never and cheese had anything. the green chili mac and cheese is pretty bomb yeah it's ridiculous <clears throat> I have to get it every time I go. <laughs> every every time I go, I'm like, because I love scallops, yep. but it's a steakhouse, and their steaks are on point. So, definitely oh, yeah. one of the best places to eat in Oklahoma City, if yeah. you're ever in town. First time I went there, I wasn't eating meat at the time, oh, or red meat like... anyways, so <laughs> okay. I ordered the scallops, and there you go. they were good. I'm sure they were. <laughs> yeah, I love a scallop. Yeah, since then, I've had a porterhouse that was coffee... I think it was coffee crusted, crusted with yeah. salt, and then I don't remember what sauce I got for it. Because yeah, you get to pick your own little crusts and sauces. And I can definitely say their Bernays sauces are delicious. Because mm-hmm. that's my favorite. Yeah, this Bordelais would be pretty damn tasty too. Oh, a buddy of mine that goes there, he's the uh, president of the Western Avenue Association, and he said he makes or they make him like a, a house made, almost like Worcestershire sauce. That he yeah. gets it in a big old bowl and they just like put his steaks in there so they're they're cooked and then marinated in his little special sauce when it's taken out to the table. So they're all about all about that hospitality, they taking are. it to the extreme. Normally I, I uh, wait and eat my stuff on microphone, but I saved only a bite to eat on the mic. So that says a whole lot right there. Uh, it was too delicious to stop eating. Yep. But something that would happen right around the same time as this show, One Sweet Day by Mariah Carey and Boys to Men would be in its third week of their record 16 straight weeks at number one on the Billboard charts. This was on my 1995 Grammy nomination season I brought up so many times on this, this uh, run of shows because those songs get brought up uh, when we're talking about hot shit or whatever. And uh, yeah. Song got some. Song got a bunch of play. Oh yeah, sorry, I got a bunch never of guys told you play. all I needed to say. Yeah, isn't it? Is this like kind of a, about like a dead producer or something? Or I think it, it was about a dead person. Yes. I mean, yeah, it's definitely about a dead person. Yeah. <laughs> but it's it's one of the, it's it's ve- it's uh, vague enough so you can uh, you know use oh, it yeah, for this anybody. Was, this was any played, dead person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sure the song got played, played at, at many a funeral. <laughs> oh yeah. Got played at many a. Uh, uh, Dances, high school dances. Oh, really? Too. Oh, well, yeah. yeah. It was. I wasn't in high school. Mariah Carey and so. Boys to Men. Yeah, they but I mean, it's such everywhere. a. It's a. Fu- it's basically a funeral song, as far as I'm concerned. It a, is. Yeah. This song makes me sad. Dance yeah. with me. This is kind of like um, <laughs> the R and B version of Candle in the Wind. <laughs> but, but Candle in the Wind is like, oh well, he, he was like, ah, oh, I already had this curious. song. What if I move it around a little bit? Did they make for a Diana? dance mix of this one? 
I'm sure there's a remix of it. Dance remix. I mean, the chorus is great. It's big and it's dumb and emotionally manipulative. Chucky's remix. Uh, It's great. Oh, good. They didn't do Chucky's remix. Uh, it wasn't like Chucky Chucky. It was uh, just okay. It was like, <laughs> well, yeah, it wasn't. Uh, it, it wasn't the doll or the rat. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I remember being in uh, junior high, high, high school, all the time. And yeah. dancing, dancing to this. For, I have a memory of somebody hating this song, and I thought it was Shane, but it would make no sense for Shane to hate no. this song. Uh, I don't know who it is that I know that hates this song, but it's like, come on, man. Of course, is uh, I am. There's you can. Whether you like it or not, you understand why it was yeah. such a big hit. I, I, Plus, it's them at the height of their powers. I was often asked to help participate in this song at karaoke because mm. get drunk, you get sad, you got to sing a sad <laughs> song. Shane, sing with me. And you can also have like five people up there because there's mm-hmm. like five people on the song. <laughs> Plus, I'm sure they all overdubbed too. Yep. Now I'm trying to remember. Let's see what song took them out of the top. Well, we might get to it at some point. Oh, oh okay. Matt might have it in the. My bad. I should have. It might be known. in the hopper, man. Like, <laughs> no spoilers, Shane. For got it. for something that happened in 1995 or maybe early 90s. It would have been 96. Yeah, because it's last week three of a 16. So like it's. Oh, this is week three. Week, wow. So it's. It's making it all. One, it's number one for another 13 weeks. So yeah. it's yeah. number one until March. Oh yeah. It was, like, it was like the Titanic of songs. It's wild. It's just always at the top. And it's not even on like an a- any of their albums, right? It's on the Boys to Men 2 album. Oh, okay. And I think Mariah put a solo version on one of her albums, but I don't remember. I'm sure the single flew called. off of the shelf. Rude. A solo version? I know, right? Rude, Mariah. What the hell? She didn't want to split it with all of them. There's like odd guys and Boys to Men. That's now. Unfortunately, true. <laughs> R.I.P. Well, let's uh, talk some wrestling. We get the WWF logo before Todd Pettengill narration over Hart Family highlights, where the Hart Family isn't enjoying Christmas because they're torn apart by the feud. Hitman has never defeated Bulldog, as we see highlights from SummerSlam '92. Highlights. Huh? Sorry, that's a, a dig at Bulldog. Tonight, two men stand apart. One family stands divided. Tonight, it will be more like season's beatings for the Hart family. We then get some computer animation where someone's throwing snowballs at a front door. And the In Your House logo comes out only to have more snowballs thrown at it. We then follow the logo into the house and go to our arena where Vince McMahon welcomes us to the show. Jerry the King Lawler is joining him on commentary. And we see Santa and the Smoking Guns handing out presents in the crowd. Maybe some of those uh, VHS tapes they had plenty of copies of. Sure, probably. Uh, maybe a, you know... T-shirt or t- two. T-shirt or two. I mean, who has a Smoking Guns t-shirt, guys? I don't know, but I bet it's probably worth a lot of money now. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm sure somebody had one, but yeah, I never knew anybody that had one. No, probably not. They've kind of done a whole lot of nothing for like three years. They're two-time tag team champions, sir. That's right. I mean, yeah, that they won and lost on Raw. That's true. And the King says he has a surprise for everybody. Ooh. And we might see that later. 
But we go straight to our first match. The one, two, three kid and Psycho Sid with Million Dollar Man Ted DiBiase versus Razor Ramon and Marty Jannetty. Talk about your party crowd. Yeah, I was happy. <laughs> <laughs> no shit. Uh, I was kind of surprised like that Marty just keeps popping back up. Chilling. Getting paydays. Yep. Yeah, he just keeps chilling. Like, yeah. hey, Sean's hurt, whatever. Can you come back for a few weeks? Yeah, maybe yeah. if Marty Jannetty was as handsome as Shawn Michaels, uh, Vince McMahon would have put up with him more. I'm telling you. Had, had he not partied... There's a few people that's in this company that can do a one, two, three kid match and actually look good doing it. Oh, yeah. Everyone yeah. else is just way too big. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure Brett could do all right, but uh, no, but that's Brett fucking Hart, and uh, he's not doing... He's not messing with the one, two, three kid right now. That's right. <laughs> he just finally got himself out of the mid-card, damn it. Mm-hmm. So we see footage from Survivor Series where Sid would help the kid beat Marty to win the match, followed by one, two, three distracting Ramon, causing him to be eliminated in his... Survivor Series match. And as Razor comes out, we see Goldust in the crowd, applauding and blowing kisses at Ramon. He seems to have his own section. Yeah, he's got Complete like a... with an usher. <laughs> I love the usher. It's the movie theater, uh, movie theater style uh, usher, you know, yep. to keep with his uh, quotes theme. Vince also points out that, yes, you are seeing a hog pin in the entranceway as well. Oh, um, 95. Yeah, I was... All I, the way to the end, you just deliver. <laughs> <laughs> I, I popped for the hog pen, but then I was like, but now then I have to watch the match later, whatever that is. I had a pretty good guess of one of the con- who one of the contestants would be. I mean, you should have a good idea of who <laughs> yeah. it was. So the match gets going, and the kid goes right after Janetti with kicks, only for Marty to retaliate with an insiguri and a clothesline for a two-count. Janetti keeps trying to pull one, two, three towards his corner so he can make a tag. But the kid continuously avoids Razor, even bailing out to the floor once he's tagged in. Only for Marty to like grab him and roll it and like throw him back into the ring. I'm not getting away, you little shit. Yep. We get a toothpick flick before Ramon picks one, two, three high up into the air for an atomic drop. Hi. Mm-hmm. Allowing him to make a blind tag to Psycho Sid. And Sid comes in with clubbing forearms, chokes. The kid even joins in with double teams when Razor begins to fire up to trade punches with Psycho Sid. Only for them to both hit clotheslines for a double KO. Bum, bum, bum. I thought that it was funny that there was Sid chance. I guess people like Sid. I think they just like to see Sid be, be, be large. I mean, there's always going to be Sid those chance. people. I mean, like Sid, we all remember how terrible uh, the skyscrapers were, and people would just chant Sid, and then they would boo. Oh, I can't Danny even. Spivey. Danny Spivey. That's how much I hate him. I couldn't even pull his name. <laughs> I was just thinking about him the other day. <laughs> but like, yeah, the, you remember the Sid chants? They were so loud, and then Danny Spivey comes in and just chirps. They're all hopped up on chocolate or something. <laughs> They're in Philly. They like. They also uh, have some Hershey. Hershey. They are in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. There you go. <laughs> They're in Pennsylvania. They like a heel. We got. Some, uh, there's an ECW shirt in the crowd. I saw it. One, two, three, and Marty both are tagged in. Where Janetti gains control with a face plant, a power slam, and a blockbuster for a near fall. 
Marty starts to wear down the kid with headlocks as we go to Pettengill, who's with Goldust, who talks about Ramon's sexiness. And he also gives Todd a note to pass on to, to Razor. We'll see how that plays out. Oh, yeah, later. maybe he wants to uh, take him to a Boys to Men concert. Check yes or no. <laughs> In the ring, Janetti is hit from behind by Sid, allowing 123 to deliver a spinning heel kick to regain control. The two men continue their double-teaming ways, but Marty tries to escape with a crossbody, only to be caught by Psycho Sid and dropped with a power slam for a two-count. Sid hits a body slam and goes to taunt Razor, only to back up into a Janetti roll-up, but the ref is distracted, getting Ramon back to his corner. Damn it, ref. The kid comes back in with a body slam and comes off the top with a frog splash for a near fall. Psycho Sid with a big boot as 1-2-3 now taunts Razor some more, which causes him to chase the kid through the ring to attack from behind. But while the ref gets Ramon out of the ring, the Million Dollar Corporation keep up the attack on Marty with more double teams, including an Irish Whip-aided dropkick and a clothesline. The Million Dollar Corporation continues to work over Janetti with leg drops, double axe handles, until 1-2-3 misses a corner splash allowing Marty to make the crawl for the hot tag. Razor cleans house with right hands, whips the kid into Psycho Sid before delivering a fallaway slam to him. Ramon then goes for the Razor's edge on Sid, but it's reversed into a back body drop, only to then miss a leg drop. Ramon's Irish whip is then reversed, but he does get a boot up on the charging Psycho Sid, following up with a second rope bulldog for the pin. And the win. Post-match, the bad guy goes right after 1-2-3, attempting a razor's edge, only for Sid to save him and retreat to the back. You know they're uh, into the 1-2-3 kid when they have Sid take the pin. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's like it's a, I was like, it's like, oh, okay. Like I mean, Sid, probably not that nice of a guy. If you, uh, you know, he's stabbed a man, uh, he l- looks mean. I mean, that's not the case for everybody, but yeah. Still, he's very large, and we all know Vince likes uh, big boys. And hey, he can work better than Diesel, maybe? Sometimes. I, he At least it looks better. Yeah. Vince Shills for the Superstar Hotline. And we see Sonny and Ray Rougeau on the phones right now. And I was like, I'd be very disappointed if I got the wrong line. <laughs> <laughs> but Ray's got that cute accent. All of a sudden, the Million Dollar Corporation joins Sonny in the back as well. Because she's in the on the heel hotline. Yeah. The ring announcer then begins to announce our next match. But Lawler interrupts him. And the king enters the ring with a wrapped gift in his hands, telling the fans that Santa isn't bringing them a gift, but he is. Double J, Jeff Jarrett. What, what, what? We haven't seen Double J since In Your House 2, episode 160, because he's been out on tour. Ah. I mean, ain't I great? It, it toured for... A couple months. Three months. Or at least in Memphis where he was actually wrestling. <laughs> yeah. ah. I'm just happy he's back. I've missed Jarrett on these cards. Mm-hmm. 
Lawler says that Jarrett has a new CD and tour named Greater Than Great. Oh, shit. Before unwrapping the gift to reveal a framed gold CD for his Ain't I Great album. Pretty cool. Over 500,000 copies sold. Hell yeah. The next one's going platinum. (laughs) Double J then declares himself a participant in the Royal Rumble and promises to be champion at WrestleMania 12. Here we have it, folks. The first entry in the 1996 Royal Rumble. Double J, Jeff Jarrett. It's J-E-double-F-J-A-double-R-E-double-T. Double J, Jeff Jarrett. First entry in 1996 Royal Rumble. The King then invites Jarrett to join commentary for the next match, which is our second one, Dean Douglas versus Ahmed Johnson. And Jarrett doesn't know who either of these guys are. (laughs) And Dean takes the mic saying he was planning on coming out here and giving Ahmed a wrestling lesson of a lifetime. But the doctors haven't cleared him, as his back is only 65% of what it should be. So he introduces his graduate student, Buddy Landell. Oh, man. We haven't seen Buddy since Wrestle War 91, episode 53. Nature Boy, Buddy Landell. That's right. I mean, good for him for the payday. Yeah. Good luck against Ahmed Johnson. I didn't remember him being here, but I mean, I don't really remember much of the... uh... In your houses. Yeah, I don't remember him really making a comeback in the 90s. Or mid-90s. Well, Vince asks Double J what he thinks of Johnson as he comes to the ring. And his quotes are, he's got an earring in and all he wears is tights to the ring. Good good commentary, Double yeah. J. Good it's like commentary. what, so he looks like a wrestler? Yeah. So our actual, with earrings? <laughs> so our actual match is Buddy Landell versus Ahmed Johnson. That'll put asses in seats. And Ahmed slaps Douglas once he's in the ring, allowing Landell to attack from behind, but Johnson just turns and absorbs chops and right hands. Ahmed starts choking Buddy, lifting him up to the top turnbuckle, where Landell leaps off, only for Johnson to catch him and drop him with a spine buster. Ahmed then follows that up with a Pearl River plunge for the pin and, and the win. Post match. Johnson starts to go after Dean, grabbing his paddle and swatting Douglas with it. And Jared seems to think that Ahmed needs an attitude adjustment. Where's Cena? Where is he at? Before Vince challenges Lawler to interview Johnson. And they bring Ahmed down to ringside, where the king makes sure the camera is on his good side. Before asking Double J if Johnson's win impressed him, with Jared saying... Absolutely not. Lawler goes on to demean Ahmed being able to read, with Double J throwing in a got him. Yikes. It's like eek. Johnson has had enough, calling Jarrett an achy, breaky heart wannabe punk and a fake urban cowboy before threatening the king as well. And while he's doing that, Double J has grabbed his framed gold CD, smashes it over the head of Ahmed before ramming him into a chair that Lawler is holding. Jarrett continues the attack with the steel steps and Douglas's paddle, only for Johnson to no-sell it and chase Double J to the back. And you asked why you didn't remember Buddy Lindell? 
So it's just it's because one-off. this would be the last time we would ever see Landell, and also the last time we would see Douglas in the WWF. Oh my goodness. That was a quick one. Yep. Came for a, a quick little intercontinental title run. and The quickest ever. Yeah. Poof. Here today, gone yeah. tomorrow. I, mean, I guess Jarrett needed to go on tour, so they brought in Dean, and then Jarrett's back, so go back to Philly. Adios, my takeaway from all of this <laughs> is that they could have just done Goldberg with Ahmed Johnson. Yeah. <laughs> like, he's... They could have done He's, Zeus with Ahmed Johnson. Well, I mean, it would have been much better because yeah. Ahmed Johnson uh, oh, looks been a great Zeus. Looks scary. He's got uh, he's got intensity. His promo was not terrible. He at least sounded convincing when he said those dumb lines. I will tell lines. you right now, his promos do not get any better. I believe you. Yeah. I completely believe you because I was surprised that like this one was decent. Yeah, uh, his promos are typically very. I'm here. I'm mad. They told me to say something, so. Blech. Well, yeah, that's what it was this time, too. He did it well. Yeah, but he just looks great. That's really all he got. But I'm like, oh, this guy could have just been... They could have just... Buddy Landell brought in brought in some Buddy Landells, some Buddy Rose. Is there a third buddy? Uh, My buddy. <laughs> yeah, he could have just, you know... Buddy power. Murphy. Uh, <laughs> buddy Murphy's like three. He's probably not even alive <laughs> yeah. at this point. Yeah. I don't know how old Buddy Murphy is, but... No. Yeah, that's where see he's watching it uh, with Cena uh, yeah. at home. Well, I mean, Cena's, Cena was in high school at uh, this okay. time oh, because yeah. I'm a couple years older, I know. We go to the America Online Room Ooh. where Todd Pettengill's with Razor Ramon, and he congratulates Razor on his win before mentioning that the bad guy will be facing Yokozuna on Raw for the Intercontinental title tomorrow night. How about that? Todd starts to send it back to Vince, but... He remembers the note that Goldust gave him. Hmm. Ramon starts to read it, and all of a sudden he gets a look of disgust, crumpling up the note and throwing it before leaving the room. How he, bizarre. He could have just checked no and then gave it back to Todd Pettengill. Yeah. Been respectful. I, I feel like it might have said a few more words <laughs> other than just check yes or no. <laughs> Maybe a little bit. I like you. Do you like me too? Yes yeah. or no? <laughs> can, I, can I say hello to your little friend? Oh, there you go. <laughs> ding, ding, ding. <laughs> Winner of the day. Yeah. We go to our third match. Hunter Hearst Helmsley versus Henry O. Godwin in an Arkansas hog pin match with Hillbilly Jim as the special guest referee. I was kind of surprised there's pigs in the pen i thought it just might be a bunch of mud but they got real live pigs in there they go all out in hershey um hunter uh does a good job of selling the stink on his way to the ring we haven't seen hillbilly jim since survivor series 1988 wow episode 22 crazy i mean yeah it's only been seven years i guess when you think back but Crazy. That's been 154 episodes. Has he worked for the company so. at, like in the back at all, or they were just like, "Oh, we got hogs. Let's let's, let's see if we can give Hillbilly a couple." Well, he was working with some independent stuff because I saw him at my high school in 1989, 1990 when they oh, did wow. the little independent wrestling show at my in my high school gym, and yeah, he was. He was the big name that was there, so I got to meet Hillbilly Jim because they knew I was a wrestling fan. And that's fun. Yeah, 
I got to. That's when I got to jump off the top rope and. Oh wow! Good stuff. What'd you do? Like an axe handle? Well, I mean, I wanted to jump down. <laughs> my friend Eric was the other one that got to go in there, and I wanted to do the the Macho Man elbow off like, the top. But I think if you go to the top rope, you yeah. got to try and do the savage yeah. elbow. They, I know, but it they told us like we couldn't hurts. do anything like that, so I just got to get out there and jump down. Oh, okay, like yeah, I mean, I understand. We are. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No crash pads in the ring. No crash pad. You would have had to do the elbow. So the way to win this match is by throwing your opponent into the hog pin. And as we're about to start, Hog threatens to slop Triple H before chasing him around ringside when Hunter pulls the ring announcer in front of him to get slopped instead. Um, I felt bad for that guy. Yeah. <laughs> I know. It's, the slop looks grosser than normal Kind of makes you mix uh, doinks, little buckets of water, or <laughs> confetti. But a no. confetti bucket is funny. Now you get slop. I noticed that Hunter has a, like an old school perfume bottle. I don't know if that was just for this match or if he's carried that around before. Well, he had the uh, like atomizer. Last yeah, time this wasn't time. an was. Uh, and I think they've moved away from the atomizer because the atomizer yeah. wasn't that like the that was the Rick Martel. Yeah, that's yeah, what I was thinking. Yeah. The, the arrogance. Yeah, this one's just like uh, you know got the little squishy ball on yeah. the end. I wonder if Rick Martel and Hunter ever considered a program together in the very beginning. Wasn't Rick gone by then? Yeah, but he could have been a great manager or something. I mean, I'm pro Rick Martell. Yeah. Anywho. They go back into the ring where the two trade punches until Godwin back body drops Triple H. Hogg then ties Triple H in the ropes and grabs a handful of slop and rubs it in Hunter's face. Hog tied. Triple H escapes the ropes and attacks from behind hitting a clothesline, right hands, chokes, a neck breaker, and a knee drop. They brawl their way out to the floor where Hogg reverses a whip to run Hunter into the still steps. And Godwin picks Triple H up, carrying him towards the hog pen. But Hunter wiggles his way free and rams Hogg's head into the guardrail. I think it's so funny that fans just have to sit, sit, ne- by that. sit next to this giant pig pen with pigs in it making pig sounds and there's no way that this show went on for a couple hours without pigs shitting wouldn't you be pissed if you bought like a floor ticket and you're like oh I'm right next to the pig pen (laughs) it would be a shitty seat (laughs) it would be a shitty seat yep the two continue to brawl with Triple H getting his head slammed against the rail before Godwin is whipped into the hog pen door Triple H attempts a pedigree only for Godwin to reverse with a back body drop onto the fence, where Hunter avoids going over into the pin and jumps off with an elbow drop. They then make their way back to the ring where Triple H gets a boot up on a charging hog, but Godwin then catches Hunter going for a monkey flip and delivers a wheelbarrow slam. Hog tosses Triple H to the corner for a flare flip out to the floor, with Godwin following out with another handful of slop and they begin to brawl their way back towards the pin, where Hogg attempts the slop drop, only for Hunter to block by grabbing the guardrail, causing Godwin to hit the concrete hard. Triple H then goes to whip Hogg towards the pin, only for it to be reversed, sending Hunter hard into the gate, which ends up cutting his back in the process. Yeah, the the, the metal definitely bends in. (laughs) Giving it his all. Before delivering a slop drop. 
Godwin would then charge at Triple H, who back body drops Hog over the fence into the pen for the win. Into the pen for the win. Oh my gosh. <laughs> this totally happened. Yep. Post match. <laughs> Hillbilly Jim goes to raise Hunter's hand, only to be shoved away. So Jim returns the favor, allowing Hog to grab him from behind, lifting Triple H into a press slam down into the mud. Godwin would then give him one more body slam for good measure, with Hunter flailing about once he tries to get to his feet. It is a pretty good uh, work slip and fall multiple times. I was impressed by uh, the last couple. It's like, all right. He's like, can you get this camera off of me? I'm tired of slipping. But he does it like a good six or seven times in a row. So even to this day, if you were to look at Triple H's back, you would see a scar on it. Oh, really? Because that cut would get infected mm. from all the mud and pig shit. Jesus. Yay. <laughs> so that's pretty funny that uh, as much as he would love to forget this match, he never will. <laughs> see, I can't date your daughter, Vince. Look at my fucking back. <laughs> yeah. Almost got, like, I almost got sepsis. I don't know if that's how you get it, but uh, sounds good. I'll allow it. <laughs> yeah, I love that uh, Jerry Lawler keeps doing the Jet Foxworthy bit, but he says, uh, you might be from Bitters, Arkansas, uh, as the tagline instead of you might be a redneck. Which just reminded me of uh, how much I loved you might be a redneck jokes as a small child yes. uh, and how really bad and dumb they are. Uh, but uh, they are on, basically only for children and and I guess old folks, because it is really not funny. Mm-hmm. The man is very unfunny. It was funny. It was funny when it first came out. Yeah, but I was like, first time you heard it, I was like fifteen, sure. sixteen years old when yeah. it came out. I remember I had a little, um, like, uh, a small book that had uh, that had a bunch of them in it. It was. I, like I, it was I think I had his first two CDs. Oh wow! So which one did you prefer more, though? The you might be a redneck, or here's your sign. Here's your sign. That's um. Larry, I can't remember his name. Is it no. Larry? No, uh, not Larry the Cable Guy. Um, Bill, is it Bill Ingwell? No. Ron White. No. Those are the only he's, four he's hillbilly the, comedians I know. Stupid. Mind of Mencia. That's a no, I think I think it's Ron White. Uh, can't be, is it? I'm more of a I'm more of a uh, original Kings of Comedy yeah, guy. Oh, okay, well, it's okay. Bill Ingwell. Yeah. yeah. More of an original Kings of Comedy guy than a uh, whatever the that one is. The white guys, not the white guys. What are the white guys tour called? Redneck Rodeo. Redneck Comedy Tour. Oh yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I'm more of a I'm a more of a Bernie I mean, Mac. They had a show together. Steve Harvey kind of guy. I was a Foxworthy guy. I, yeah. I never really got into big Bill Ingvall other than the the one show that they like one DVD movie yeah they filmed or showed all their show I'd say yeah Ron White was the best of those guys Ron White was the best but he was the one that I liked the least really yeah I don't remember any of their stuff I just don't know if I could if I could sit through it to get it and and it still amazes me that the one that's actually still the most popular is Larry the Cable Guy who's the worst of them yeah and he's not even that's not it's it's just a gimmick he's just he's just working a gimmick like a fucking wrestler it's like 10 minutes down the road from my sister in Nebraska. He's just a regular old dude. <laughs> Used to call into the radio back in the day, and it, I guess, caught on. <laughs> but yeah, the here's your sign is just 3 a.m. phone call. Hey, are you asleep? No, I'm skydiving. Here's your sign. 
Okay. Can I help you? No, I just waited in line for 30 minutes just to say hi. Here's your sign. I don't understand. What am I missing? It's another one of those. not funny. Yeah. <laughs> what is the here's your sign thing? I'm sorry I hurt your feelings I when it. I called you stupid. I, I really thought you already knew. I'm, I'm confused. Like, what is the... What is 90s the, stand-up. That's what, is, what it is. <laughs> but, what is, but what does it mean, here's your sign? I don't... I'm trying to, like, what... Like a dictionary. Hearing the jokes and not and not understanding them. Here's your sign. <laughs> the sign should be worn by stupid people bearing the warning that they are in fact stupid. Here's your sign. Thanks, Matt. I get it. It's like it's like I don't understand. Like Here, top answer. What does it mean when someone says here's your sign? Someone I get says, it. No, I get it now. I get it. I get it. I understand. I it's get originated it. by the Texan comedian Bill Ingvall in the mid-late 90s Here's when he suggested sign. that stupid people should wear a sign to give regular people some warning. Yeah. Therefore, when you see and hear someone do something ex- exceptionally dumb, you infer that they have one of Bill Ingvall's warning, stupid person signs. Oh, man. There you go. People used to say, here's your sign, and, and now that, they folks, ask. was your history on, here's your sign. What's your sign? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That was my favorite Jeff Foxworth joke. <laughs> Just him making sounds. Well, it was a, it was a you might be a redneck uh, if yeah. uh, redneck dictionary or something like that. Today's word is yuppie. I just remember, I just, uh, I just remember that being a part of the DVD or sensuous. Yeah, sensuous up. You have me a beer. Where I me a beer, sensuous. Fuck man, <laughs> God bless anybody who can make money doing shit like that. I mean hell that. Was it like the inspiration for the man show, pretty much? I watched a lot of that. <laughs> Just We get an ad for Royal Rumble. And we're back. And it's a fancy dinner party with everyone wearing tuxedos and dresses to watch the pay-per-view. Except for one kid. And a Robin Leach imitator speaks of elegance and sophistication. But the party begins to devolve into a brawl with the adults fighting while the kid just keeps watching the show on TV. I mean, it's an incredible commercial. It is pretty good. I uh, remember this from being a kid. I feel like it was just a yeah. It's very it's a, a very memorable ad. Yeah. Vincent sends us to a video package recapping Diesel's actions since Survivor Series, and Big Daddy Cool would refuse to apologize for his post-match antics versus Brett, saying they were just the tip of the iceberg. And we would get footage of Shawn Michaels collapsing after a match with the Rocket, taking credit for the injury. And this was the night after Survivor Series. Like, they were still playing up the concussion angle, basically. Mm. He's in the middle of a match. All of a sudden, he grabs his eye like he can't see, and then, boom, hits the ground. And Owen says, I did that. And that's how they ended wrong. <laughs> and I'm like, holy shit, is something actually wrong? When are we going to find out? Oh, okay. Next week, Monday. That's pretty uh, smart. Yeah. They, they Remember when they used to you. do stuff like that? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Pettengill says, Diesel isn't talking. But his actions speak louder than words, as we see footage of Big Daddy Cool destroying different people in the ring. As we go to our fourth match, Owen Hart with Jim Cornette versus Diesel. And Big Daddy Cool corners Owen, delivering several elbows and knees before tossing him across the ring. 
and Diesel keeps up the attack with a side slam when Hart starts to use his speed advantage, only for Big Daddy Cool to just shove him off to the mat before clotheslining him over the ropes to the floor. Back in the ring, Diesel goes for a big boot, only for Owen to duck and nail a spinning heel kick and a missile drop kick. And Hart starts to work the leg of Big Daddy Cool until Diesel kicks him off into the post, following up with snake eyes and a body guillotine across the ropes. Big Daddy Cool continues with a big boot and signals for the jackknife powerbomb, yelling, It's for Sean! before nailing the powerbomb, but he doesn't make the cover. Diesel decides to deliver a second powerbomb, with the ref admonishing him. So Big Daddy Cool just shoves Tim White away to be disqualified. Diesel would then deliver the jackknife anyways, signaling he wants his belt back. So I was not ready for an Owen squash match. <laughs> right? That was... Kind of made me angry. That's really why I had nothing to say for this yeah. match. It's, it's like, like... Why is Dean Doug. Well, if Dean's on his way out, use Dean. Yeah. He had the title. He had the IC belt at one point. That's <clears throat> something. His back's only at 65%. He's not medically clear. True. Yeah, Very I, true. I know. I know. I love that for a Big Daddy Cool merch, they just started selling a black glove to fans. And then over the microphone, there's just like all these kids with like black gloves on sticking their hands up. And he would only. He would only slap the hands of the kids with the black gloves, on, which is what he told me. Which I, what he, uh, what Vince said, which I was like, incredible, and such a fucking, fucking shameless douchebag, <laughs> douchebag way to make money. <laughs> but hey, we're talking about the WWF here. Mm-hmm. Hey, Diesel puts the D in douchebag. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not. It's it's sports entertainment. Diesel powered douche. Sonny and Ray Rougeau are still on their superstar lines and now they're interviewing Triple H and Godwin respectfully and Sonny is disgusted by the smell that's coming from Hunter at this point and then you see Ray just sitting there with this big old smile smiling at the camera like everything's good over here million dollar man Ted DiBiase is in the ring with a microphone while Santa and Savio Vega are handing out presents to fans in the aisleway and the Million Dollar Man says he can buy anyone. And to prove his point, he invites Savio into the ring, telling him to bring Santa with him. DiBiase calls Claus ridiculous, fat, and ancient, mocking his lack of conditioning. The Million Dollar Man then turns to Vega, asking if he believes in Santa, with Savio answering yes in English and in Spanish. Mm-hmm. DiBiase then asks for a translation, with Vega repeating that he does believe in the magic of Santa. Million Dollar Man laughs and says, Believe this, my friend! And Santa attacks Savio from behind with his bag of presents. The two men are beating down Vega, with DiBiase saying, Even Santa has a price, before they leave. Savio catches up with them in the aisleway for them all to end up brawling to the back. It's funny because I'm like, I know this was Vince's idea. This is some, some, uh, what the kinds of things that Vince finds funny. So it's like, that's my assumption. But then as soon as um, he says that he bought Santa Claus or whatever Santa attacks, Vince makes sure to say very loud and clearly, that can't be the real Santa Claus. Because it's not the real Santa Claus. Who could it be? It's Xanta Claus. That's right. 
He's from the South Pole, and he steals presents from the kids. Did they say that? No, they didn't, but that's what... This was what the beginning of that character was. Oh, this is an ongoing thing. It only shows up for a couple of weeks, because... <laughs> I was how like, long are you going to actually have a Santa Claus other than in December? It's yeah. the 17th right now, so... Uh, it's not it's the same crazy. as a wrestling clown... Can only do so much with yeah. Xanta. But but I just can't believe you said that because I was watching it and I was like, the there's a you know the his hat and beard come off or whatever and I was trying to get a look at who it was and they so never was said too. so I was like who is that I was like oh Matt will have an answer and then I thought the Xanta thing for legitimately that you were just being funny because nope. it's really funny nope. I am being completely honest <laughs> Xanta he lives in the South Pole and he steals correct but I will tell you who Book played it. who played Santa Claus. Was it Zanny Zabisco? No, it was the future Balls Mahoney. Balls. Oh. Good for him. And I do have a fun story about how he got the name Balls. I'm going to share it here because it's the first time we've talked about Balls. Yeah. Uh, I mean, not the first time. Yeah. (laughs) You know what I mean. So, supposedly, he cursed at McMahon over the phone thinking he was actually talking to the other Vince, as in Russo. So he ended up getting fired. So when he showed up in ECW, Paul was like, you yelled at Vince McMahon? You sure do have some balls. (laughs) That's still, it's still a bad name. (laughs) It's funny though. That is funny. So he doesn't show up. you got a a big dick Dudley, you got to have balls to go along with it, I guess. So when does Vince Russo show up in the WWF? I guess he's there already. Yeah. 95? I guess so. Working. I mean, he's magazine writer stuff. Oh yeah, yeah. He did start at the magazine. That's true. But yeah, that is funny. That. Hmm. Yeah, I was trying to figure out. You could have. You could have called them any. There's just straight balls for your first name. It's just a fun, fun story. No, it's a great story. Uh, It's just funny uh, that such a bad name. (laughs) So Vince then sends us to a video package where we've seen King Mabel talking about how fans are calling him scared for running at Survivor Series. But he claims he has no fear for The Undertaker, bragging about pinning him and putting him out of action as we see highlights of all this. Hey, I remember Survivor Series. Everybody was afraid of The Undertaker, including Mabel. That's true. Truth. Mabel promises to be the first to put the dead man in the casket for good. Paul Bearer then admonishes King Mabel for stealing the chain that, you know, Kama had made out of the urn and for desecrating the casket. And Undertaker says the image of his face will be burned into Mabel's soul for eternity. I love it. It's just the remnants of the chain, of the urn. Yeah, they just kept calling it the remnants of the chain, or the remnants of the urn. And I'm like, it's a fucking chain, guys. (laughs) Yeah. It's like the, yeah, it's like, we know that it got melted from the urn, so you can just call it the, like, the the chain. chain. But that leads us into our fifth match. The haunted necklace. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. So that leads us into our fifth match. King Mabel with Sir Moe versus The Undertaker with Paul Bearer in a casket match. And uh, he's with Moe and a casket that they spray painted. Uh, it's a graffiti covered. Yeah, they're men on a mission. They've got a chain. They got spray paint. I haven't seen them do any break dancing, but they have rapped. 
Ooh, I don't know if I'd want to see uh, Mabel. Maybe, maybe, maybe see Mabel trying could you to have, spin a Rooney or something. I know. Could you imagine if Mabel did a spin Rooney? Bring the house down. It'd be the biggest pop in the world. He'd go babyface in all of the fucking four seconds. <laughs> but before we get going, we go to the back with Doc Hendricks, and he finds the actions of Mabel and Moe disgusting. But you know what's even more disgusting? The prices for WrestleMania, the arcade game. <laughs> it costs anywhere from $50 to $80 for the different systems, and Doc can't find any copies in the stores. So if you call right now, Hendrix is going to throw in a VHS of game strategies. For the games that you can't get copies of in the store. We know you're, order, you're calling oh, in right, to order the game. Uh-huh. There. Der. That is, I did think it was crazy they were just selling the game directly. Like, how much are games now? I think it's 60 bucks. Yeah. They stay the same price all these years. Mm. Crazy. I mean, they do sell special edition stuff that's more expensive. Yeah, but that's just like... But yeah, points. I mean, I figured they were like 60 bucks, something like that now, but then seeing the prices when they popped up on the TV, it's like, seriously, we are paying that much for that back then? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <sighs> like, I think, I think I even remember a point in time where I saw games for like 70 bucks. Uh, when they like first I mean, came out, they always yeah, drop. Let's, over, let's like, just say discount. the overhead is much less now. Yeah, they yeah. and they drop over. Most of them drop price over time or whatever. But yeah, video games are never cheap. Yeah, I guess I typically bought mine in the like clearance bins or whatnot, just because. <laughs> yeah. Masters of Terrace ten dollars or whatever the Star Wars game you could for like for like two dollars anywhere. It's like a PlayStation One fighter. TNC surf designs, man. Oh, dude, I played the shit out of that game. I could never get the surfing part right, but the skateboarding one I was okay at. The surfing, it took me the longest time and many broken controllers because I was like 12 when I first played it, and I'd get pissed off and frustrated, and I'm sitting on the end of the bed watching, or not watching, but playing the game, Uh and the beds have these big banisters on both sides, so every now and then my frustration level would boil over and I'd just smash it against the side of the thing there. Post it. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Not playing this game ever again! And then I'd buy a new controller and then come back and play it again like two days later. I just never understood how that one worked. but You just keep going. You just keep going. You just keep going. Well... Enough of NES talk. Somebody who actually knew that game. I'm su- I shouldn't be surprised, but I've never actually known anybody that's heard of that game before, so awesome. I played it a lot. Taker makes his way to the ring, and after the smoke clears, he begins to stalk after Mabel on the floor, but gets distracted by Bo, allowing King Mabel to attack the dead man as they get in the ring. Undertaker fights back with throat chops and chokes before nailing a corner clothesline, only for Mabel to retaliate with a sidewalk slam. King Mabel continues with a clothesline and a body slam, followed by a second rope splash attempt, but the dead man rises to avoid. Taker starts going for multiple clotheslines when Sir Moe distracts the Undertaker from the floor, allowing Mabel to deliver a belly-to-belly suplex and a leg drop. R.I.P. King Mabel lands a splash in the middle of the ring, then tells Moe to carry the dead man to the casket, placing him inside. But Sir Moe decides that he needs to give Mabel his crown instead of closing the lid, which would have won the match. Yeah, I love that normally when somebody would say, like, R.I.P. or whatever, it would be, like, a negative thing. <laughs> but here they're all yelling R.I.P. like to try to rally behind yeah. The Undertaker. It's, it's like and The it's, Taker's USA, man. Yeah, it's great. It's a much better USA. <laughs> the King tries to finish it off, but... 
Taker blocks and re-enters the ring. Undertaker then delivers several clotheslines and a chokeslam before kicking Mabel into the casket. Moe then attacks from behind with the chain. So the dead man chokeslams and rolls him into the casket as well. Uh, remnants of the urn. Taker grabs the chain before closing the lid for the win. Post-match, Undertaker celebrating with the remnants of the urn before handing them to Paul, Bearer, who cradles it like a baby. So I was really hoping they would have, like, a handheld light or something like that that Paul would, like, have up his sleeves so that when he <laughs> held it up, the bright light would shine out from inside the I, remnants of the oh urn. Oh, man, I love that. That would have been great. The, yeah. light, the light inside the urn was so good. Yeah. And I only think remember it from, like, one pay-per-view. Yeah. It was so I mean, good. it just needed to be in his sleeve, uh-huh. just right there, and... <laughs> The dead man then makes the universal sign that he wants a belt, Uh-oh. with Lawler saying, that's not a promise, that's a threat. I mean, yeah, I was Ooh. excited to see him do it. That's a couple people now that have done that's the right. old universal signal. I mean, we're, uh, Royal Rumble's coming up too, so you know, it's a it's good, way, good way to hype it up subtly. We get Jim Ross in the back, and he sends us to video footage of SummerSlam 92, and the aftermath of that match. JR is then joined by the, the Bulldog, Cornette, and Diana Smith. Corny says Brett's jealous because Stu favored Davy Boy. That the Bulldog stole Hitman's thunder, fans and Stu's respect, and that Davy Boy was like a son to him. Cornette promises that the Bulldog will twist the knife even more by winning tonight. Diana is asked if she has mixed emotions. And she says there are none, that she is behind her husband. And I just said that with more feeling than she did. Yep. <laughs> hey, she, all she needs to do is be a pretty face. She's good at that. Mm, three years of acting classes from 92 to 95, and this is what you get. Mm-hmm. They made they made her uh, dress up this time, because normally she wears like a fringe like jacket, and now they're like putting red po- red and white polka dots and red lipstick on you. She's She's... Got the the heel husband now, so mm-hmm. she's got to look like slightly a badass instead of the the worried little housewife that's afraid of her brother and her husband slapping each other too hard, even though her husband's fucked up. She's looking bad. She's she's looking brassy. <laughs> Davy Boy then says that the WWF title will be around his waist, right where it belongs. Mm-hmm. We then go to Todd Pettengill outside of a locker room with Bret Hart. Todd asks if history is on his mind. And Hitman says this match is like every other. He's there to stop them from becoming WWF champion. Proving that he is the best there is, was, and will ever be. Hart has lived with the loss to Bulldog since 92, but tonight revenge is his, and the excellence of execution will shine like it's never shone before. (laughs) So it's every single Bret Hart promo that's ever happened. Well, you know, until he starts doing like, the Healy like it's stuff. It's never shone before. It's never shone before. Sheen before. Sean. He said Sean. Yeah. Maybe that's a Canadian way. I don't know. They say a boot. So. <laughs> or maybe had someone on his mind. Yeah, maybe. Maybe he's just. <laughs> can't get, I can't get him off his mind whether he likes it or not. Shawnee Knights. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck. Yeah. There's a sign in the crowd. I think I saw it at the beginning of the show, but uh, 
Somebody just wrote Bret Hart's name wrong and wrote Bert Hart. Bert? <laughs> yeah. That's where you got it. Yeah, because it's just like one of the first things I saw on the show. I was like, damn, that's embarrassing and funny that they spelled his name wrong. We then go to our sixth match. The British Bulldog, Davy Boy Smith, with Jim Cornette and Diana Smith, versus Bret the Hitman Hart for the WWF Championship. The two men trade holds and takedowns early on, with Bulldog pulling on Brett's hair to gain the advantage, putting him in a tree of woe for a bunch of stomps and an accidental ref bump. Davy Boy keeps wearing down the hitman with chin locks and goes for a whip, only for Hart to come back with a crucifix attempt, which Bulldog counters into a Samoan drop, followed by a leg drop. And Vince makes the announcement at this point that The Undertaker will face the winner of this match at the Royal Rumble. Well, that was fast. Undertaker has no business being in the Royal Rumble. It's a silly thing to put him in. Yep. Especially, like, you know, he's been established for so long. He's the guy that's been probably the shortest amount of... Like, he came in as a top guy and stayed a top guy his entire career. Like, I don't think anybody's really ever done that. He, yeah, he was mean Mark for a little bit, but like as far as the WWF, he never had to chill at the bottom of the card. No. He's just no. always been his own thing and always treated like a top guy. That's very true. Bulldog then distracts the ref, allowing Cornette to get in on the action before delivering a back body drop for a two count and going back to chin locks. You see Corny's Santa racket. Ho, yes. ho, ho. It's awesome. <laughs> Brett begins to fight back with a monkey flip, an atomic drop, a headbutt to the gut, a bulldog, and a pile driver to Davy Boy for a near fall. Hitman continues with more headbutts, a shot to the gut, a Russian leg sweep, a second rope elbow drop, before setting the bulldog on the turnbuckles for a superplex, only for Davy Boy to counter by tossing Hart onto the ropes, crotch first. <sighs> They begin to brawl out on the floor with Bulldog whipping Brett into the steel steps, which causes him to cut his forehead. We got a bleeder. Davy Boy continues by ramming the hitman into the ring post. Posted. And then the guardrail before heading back into the ring. And Bulldog's just working over that cut with headbutts, punches, and boots before hitting a pile driver and a stalling suplex for a two count. Big, big moves. The, uh, Blade, the blade job, I was like, I was like, oh, because at first, like when he, he did it whenever he got thrown into the steps, but I think he cut his arm, he cut his hand a little bit, like trying to get the blade out of his wrist tape or whatever. Uh -oh. So at first, I thought he just like smashed his hand and would cut his uh, on accident while he got thrown into the steel, because Brett has no issue throwing himself into things as he does every single match in a turnbuckle. Yeah. So that's what I thought it was, and I was like, oh no. As soon as he comes up off the floor mat and there's just like a puddle where puddle, his head yeah. was, I was like, Jesus. He really is uh, really trying to, sometimes uh, you rush when you're, when you're trying to hide the blade, I guess. Well, just because they weren't supposed to bleed in WWF. Vince, I know. Vince was not happy and somehow Brett convinced him that it was hard way. I'm, my, that's why I was surprised too, because I was like, oh, that's why I just thought he like, smashed his hand and then five seconds later when he comes up i was like fuck i was like he didn't only blade he fucking he dug in yeah. 
Davy Boy with a press slam, a body slam, and then goes up top for a flying headbutt to the small of the back for a near fall. Bulldog locks on a bow and arrow stretch, which Hart almost reverses into a sharpshooter, only for Davy Boy to power out immediately before shoulder tackling Brett out to the floor. And the camera stays wide. Vince even makes sure to say it over the microphone, like just for just for the guys in the truck. But he's like, "Keep please keep the camera wide," because <laughs> he's uh, was not ready for uh, this. Because there is no blood in cartoon wrestling, but this looks more like a wrestling match than some other things we see. Bulldog looks to bring the hitman back in with a suplex, but Hart floats over, nailing a German suplex for a two count. The two men then begin to run the ropes, where they both go for clotheslines, for the double KO. Back to their feet, Davy Boy charges at Brett, only to be back body dropped over the ropes to the floor, followed by the hitman flying out with a slingshot plancha. Hart tries for a springboard pump splash, only for Bulldog to catch him and deliver a running power slam on the floor. Davy Boy then starts to pull the mats up before going for a vertical suplex. Only for Brett to counter, crotching the bulldog on the railing. Back in the ring, the hitman with a backbreaker for a two count and an Irish whip so hard, it causes Davy Boy to flip into the turnbuckles. Love the psychology of it's like, now it's his turn for the nut shot, but his, he gets his on the steel and we keep getting shots of Diana, but she starts to look on disapprovingly. Hart then nails a superplex for the pin, and no, Bulldog kicks out. Brett starts arguing with the ref, allowing Davy Boy to hit an O'Connor roll, which the hitman rolls over on top for a near fall. Hart then with a back body drop, right hands, and goes for the whip, only for Bulldog to reverse, but he then charges into a big boot, followed by Brett using a La Magistrale for the pin, and the win. Guess he was getting some tips from uh, old uh, Dos Caras. Dos Car- or no, it wasn't Dos Caras. Oh. It was using the Lost Magistral. Uh, Ultimo Dragon. Ultimo Dragon. Yeah, he must have got that that uh, J Cup two tape. Yep. He's like, well, this is nice. I think I could pull that off. It was funny to see Bret Hart do that pin because he is a meat and potatoes psychology guy. Best like, there is, best there was, best there ever will be. Yeah, he does like he's his brother. His little brother does the fancy stuff. We then get an in your house extra screen before we get Todd Pettengill backstage with the Undertaker and Paul Bearer. Paul says the fans always ask when the Dead Man will get a championship match, and thanks to Mister Monsoon, it's becoming true. Diesel then interrupts, wanting to know why Taker gets a match before him. Bear then says, Big Daddy Cool, you haven't been very cool lately. Is Terry Funk here? I know, my Terry <laughs> Funk. I'm, Shane does a better bear than I do. My Funk, I went straight to Funk. So Diesel just grabs him by the tie, only for the Undertaker to stop him. And Big Daddy Cool says, People have been dodging him lately. With the dead men responding, he doesn't dodge anybody. And the two men then just stare each other down for a really long time as it just doesn't ever cut away. (laughs) But it finally does as we see a highlight video from the show before fading to black. 
I was waiting for like one of them to break or something just because of how long the camera was stuck on their face. <laughs> it would have been really fun. So I ask you gentlemen, what are your overall thoughts of In Your House 5? I didn't hate it. It had some very... It had some entertaining moments and then it had its... Oh, brother. Yeah, for the most part, I I kind of dug it. It was good to see Marty back. Even the hog match was kind of entertaining, but then that was also one of the, oh, brother, when that one was first announced, because, oh, brother. And then there was Santa Claus, which brought shit down, but... <laughs> I mean... Started strong, ended strong, I was happy. Uh, Santa Claus brings it up, but only be- not because they of what happened on the show, but because Matt told me what the gimmick was, <laughs> which I think is perfectly stupid. But, I mean, Santa Claus d- d- does stink. They should, they just would have let us know on this show. We could have at least thought it was stupid and funny. This feels like a pretty run-of-the-mill, like, in-your-house, but we finally get a, like, real main event, which is nice, and I really like the closing stretch and the finish of that match. It's nice to see some some blood. It was nice for Davy Boy to pull his own weight this time, because you know last time he was higher than a kite in front of like twelve thousand people or more. I don't know how many. I don't know how many people Wembley holds, but it was it fucking was like eighty thousand. A bunch. Yeah, yeah. It's like way too many people for you to be that fucking high. You fucking dickhead. And I mean that match is good too, but I remember not liking that match as much as it has been like reported on in the past. Like people were like, this is this great. I was like, yeah, it was good, but something felt off. Didn't know he was high as a kite when I watched it. Yeah. So. I mean, I think we're all about the same line, but I feel like I may be the highest on this show. I, I find this show to be completely entertaining. Delightful. Um, we have a classic main event, even as far to maybe possibly say those two words, short and list. I mean, yeah, I love I, I like this one much better than the SummerSlam 92 match. I do as well. Like I said, that SummerSlam 92 feels a lot like uh, they're just on a lot of map work, which I'm totally fine with, but... Uh, I we know mean, we know why we know why Matt yeah. work in the first it's one. It's not very compelling. The SummerSlam Matt one work. felt bigger. I mean, because it was the main event of SummerSlam in front of eighty thousand people. But yeah, not as wise. This one was. Yeah, you had two wrestlers wrestling instead of one going. Huh? This felt like a match worthy of uh, the title belt. Yeah, I also feel like there is tons of character arc in the middle of the show. Lots of building, gold dust and razor. We're going to see that. Yeah. Jeff Jarrett's back. Ahmed Johnson's getting a big win. Di- even the Diesel stuff. That it, Yes, it's a squash match against Owen. That but then does, Diesel, that does suck. Then he gets in, yeah. in but, Baker's face. And it's but like, it, does, right, it does help build Diesel back up. He's getting his heat back from you know losing the title. There's, it's just the, all these little small things that they did. With, Diesel going to steal the each, chain for his tires. I mean, the, yes, the Santa Claus thing, it's dumb, It's but it's silly and fun. It's five minutes of this entire show. Yeah, it's not. It, it, doesn't, it, doesn't, it doesn't affect it in it any real way to me. It, yeah. Yeah. Like, it doesn't, it doesn't, I'm not like, oh my god, Savio, that was so bad. Savio that, got a payday, guys. Yeah. Like, good for him. We're pro-Savio. 
He's he's fine. He's fine. Oh yeah. Good. Where where's the smart marks at? All right. Fuck you. I think it's time we smark it up. So what are some of the best moments of this show? Smark. Uh, I love that Goldust always quotes like old movies that like there's no way that the kid audience would know or give a shit about. Like he did Plan to the Apes, and in this show, I don't know if we said it, but he quotes The Graduate. It's like, okay, yeah. it's like all right, and I always get a kick out of it because he does the quote, and the, those two times I've seen both those movies, but like he does a quote, and I'm like, what is that from? And then he says it, and then I just giggle to myself because I'm like, why are you quoting The Graduate? Because he and. Is- Planning his seduction. Yeah, and I like to think that either Dustin Rhodes is a weird movie buff, or he just had a book of movie quotes because there's no IMDb or something for him to look at. I just picture him watching The Graduate on VHS, like you know, while like icing a limb after a match in a hotel, and that makes me laugh. So for years, I had heard about this hog pen match, and basically, it always been had always heard that it was kind of punishment. To Triple H, that's the reason why he had to do this match. But, like, punishment for what? People always said that he had to do it for punishment, the curtain call. But the curtain call hasn't happened at this point. Yeah. yeah and, and so, like, so realizing, like, I didn't know what the timeline of all that was. I just always heard that he had to do this match, and people associated it with the curtain calls, why he had to do it. Yeah. Obviously, not the reason. Yeah, still a couple years away from that. I actually feel like that hogpin match. It's my favorite match on the show. It's not the best. It's not the best match. For what it is, it's well worked. Like obviously, I, I just called the main event a shortlist match. <laughs> yeah, so it's yeah. it's the best match. It's, it's on a the much show. it's a much better match for sure but as far as a wrestling. This hog pin match is way better and more entertaining than it ever deserves to be. I agree completely. Like they, like I said, it's well worked for a well worked dumb idea, uh, and worked with. It, like it never gets too goofy as if it's not goofy enough in the first place you know what I mean they don't do any goofy like whoa faces or anything like that like you know plus it helps that Just the Hunter's not and follow yeah Hunter's very like keeps his character very like serious he never gets buffoony with his like hoity toitiness he always stays in and never turns into Absolutely. a comedy thing which uh adds to it too because if he like you know if he started like throwing fits and stuff like then it would probably not be it would it would then would be like okay i roll but he keeps it straight and just you know and his whole idea thing is that he's this you know highbrow aristocrat he's not like a dandy or whatever dandy <laughs> that's not that's not the joke they're that they're putting across i'm sure vince mcmahon would love that but hunter does, doesn't like this anyway we all know that too try to still be cool with it any other best moments i hate Red. casket matches oh yeah but just putting that out there i've oh, had okay. i've like, seen, seen enough best I, 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 well, I think <laughs> i've seen enough i think we've just seen too many of them in yeah. a short amount of time yeah i think so because i know they do come back but it's much more sparse. Yeah, I was just thinking of my and so highs, makes, and I went to my, it, my low. It makes it feel like a bigger thing. Yeah, it's like you can't water, you can't water it down. 
don't but, know. I but, still look back at Ray Rougeau. I can still see his face smiling in the camera after the hog pen match just because <laughs> Sunny was all excited because she was going to interview the winner. And it's like, you know what? Fuck you. We're both sitting here talking to people covered in pig shit. Well, how about most disappointing? The realization of just how short-lived Dean Douglas... That's literally what I thought, too. <laughs> yeah, I can't believe that that was, that was it. Dean cause... Douglas gone, and for some reason... My, my, actually, I should have said my, one of my funniest lines was when he introduced Buddy Landell as his graduate student. I'm just like, Buddy Landell is, like, was probably your trainer, bro. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I did think that was funny, too. It's, he's a good wrestler. What was the deal? Why did he leave so quick? Who, Buddy Lindell? No. Oh, Dean Douglas? <laughs> Dean Douglas. Uh, he just didn't get along with people in the back. Yeah. yeah. He, did, a... he didn't click well with certain people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm trying to think if there's really any terrible, terribles. See, that's the thing. is This show, I don't feel like, has any just, like, terrible... Yeah. It's not a super lows, the, like... The, I mean... The two I, squash I matches mean, you both, move you quick both, enough. You both mentioned Diesel squashing Owen... That's a little bit disappointing. I, yeah. I can see if you're an Owen Hart fan, that's a little bit disappointing. Especially, he just came off from being a tag champion as well. The way I see he it. He probably shouldn't be in that spot. But at the same time, yeah. it's Brett Brett took his belt, so he's getting revenge on the Hart family. Even if Owen and Brett aren't always seeing eye to eye. They're still brothers. It's, they're still brothers. So that's, that's kind of where I think... Plus, Owen is the one that took out Sean. I think that's where that storyline comes. Yeah, because he yeah. yells, "I'm like this is for Sean." Yeah. Whenever he uh, slams him, the uh, I also feel like Owen Hart is the kind of guy that can just eat a loss. He can fill with, any with, role. With, well, he can. I think he can eat a loss without it ever really affecting him negatively. Yeah. Uh, kind of the same way that like Tomohiro Ishii can eat pins all day, but nobody likes him less for it. Like, it's just like, oh, we like, we just, we just, if you like the guy, you like the guy, and you're happy when he wins, but uh, when he loses, it's... You know, he still put his effort in. Yeah, and it's never, it doesn't, you know, it's no, uh, you know, no sweat off his back or yours. I'm just going to live to fight another day. So I'm not too bummed about the Owen thing. Plus, Diesel's like seven feet tall, and Owen is sure. strictly like mid-card, like upper mid-card heel off and on. If he floats... Only other thing is just, I mean, we've mentioned it before, the Santa Claus. It's just, I just have to ask why, or really, or... I think the thing that, about that, <laughs> that the most, the segment itself, it's whatever. Yeah. But that they thought, oh, we'll introduce a character. And use it. And use it. But it's obviously only Christmas time for, like, a month of the year. The smarter so it's thing... it's just kind of like... The smarter thing to do would have had it been a member or a current member or a new member of uh, the Million Dollar Corporation that's in the Santa Claus thing. Yeah. Instead of a new guy. Because then you don't have to do the dumb thing. You can just be like, oh, it was that guy all along. And then Santa's done. And now it's just back to being the guy, whoever he may be. I feel like half the roster is on the Million Dollar Corporation at this point. Nikolai Volkov. (laughs) Yeah, why not? I mean, I think Sid and One Two Three Kid are the only two that matter at this point, though. So yeah, I can't think of anybody else. That's no, because I mean, I don't remember if Tatanka is still around. I don't remember anything. You haven't seen him in a while. Did you guys get this? I got a slight feeling uh, when Goldust first came out that maybe he was going to become a member of the Million Dollar Corporation, but. 
No. But no, it just didn't, I, I got that feeling and then the, until the Razor stuff. But I was like, huh, maybe that's what we're doing with him. But it seems like they've already rolled out the red carpet. So uh, why would you bring him down by putting him in your blighty heel team? Yep. How about best performer of the night? Brad. And Brad yeah. for sneaking in a blade job and then uh, and then selling it to Vince that it was uh, the right. hard way, <laughs> which is just awesome. Yeah, because I mean, blood works when you don't use it all the time and you use it at the right spot. And Brett's smart enough guy to do it at the right time. And I mean, if this at the right is, spot, I, I can honestly say, if this, if, if this match doesn't have blood, it's not hitting my short list. No. The blood is what it'd still puts be good because I do think that the finish and the closing and the closing minute, yeah, like I think the I think the finish is awesome. But yeah. that's what that's why blood exists in wrestling. It heightens the drama, but you have to earn it. Otherwise, it's just like, okay. And you can't have blood on every match. It needs to be in the last match. How about anything surprising? Blood. Yeah, the blood. <laughs> Definitely yeah. is the most surprising. Yeah, um, I didn't think I didn't think uh, British Bulldog was holding the belt. Also, there's no way I would have not known that because British Bulldog was ever the WWF champion. I would have heard about that at some point in my life. It's a good chance you might have. Yeah, you would think so. Jeff Jarrett's back, guys. Yeah, I was always ha- I'm always happy to see Jeff back because, like, I think these in your house shows kind of started with like a really solid Jeff, solid Jeff Jarrett matches, and like he was he was doing doing great work because he does great work, and then uh, yep. him being off of a few, it's like you really miss him on that card. He really does keep. Keep yeah, it going. They, they basically had to uh, rely more on Mabel and Psycho Sid and Diesel while yeah. he was gone. Yeah, and we know how that turned out. How sad as that. Yeah, <laughs> well, this is a this is a much better in your house than the last couple, and Jeff Jarrett is a big part of why that's the case. Another big part of that is that we got the belt off of Diesel. Yeah, I mean. It's already been listed in the disappointing, but then I'm also kind of sprinkle it into the surprising. Just the I get the reason for it, the the storyline building and whatnot, but just the the Owen squash that just shocks me that this this level in his career that he's taking a pay per view squash. He had to do it for <clears throat> Sean, man. But yeah, it's like he yeah, did. it could have been somebody else, but you know, or it means more if it's Owen. He could have concussed Diesel, elevated himself to that next level. Oh, I mean, yeah, chopped down that tree. We would all love to see that. <laughs> that Vince McMahon's not going to do that. That would have been an interesting turn of events. <laughs> yeah, that would have been my biggest surprise, is if, if, if Owen beat Diesel. Yeah. Hey, I mean, Diesel beats Brett sometimes. Brett beats Diesel sometimes. Owen beats Brett, so Owen should be able to beat Diesel too. Flawless logic. <laughs> Lawyered. <laughs> and now for a look back even further into the history of wrestling. The dusty finish. Macho man Randy Savage had held the WWF championship for five months after defeating Ric Flair at WrestleMania 8. He would defend the title versus the Ultimate Warrior at SummerSlam, where the Nature Boy and Mr. Perfect would interfere, injuring both men. But Savage would retain after a countout. 
This would lead to Flair and Macho Man facing each other on an episode of Primetime Wrestling on September 14, 1992. During the match, Savage would be on the outside when Razor Ramon would attack Macho Man from behind, allowing the Nature Boy to take control back in the ring. Locking on the figure four, Savage would eventually pass out, causing the ref to make the three count and making Ric Flair a two-time WWF champion. Woo! The Nature Boy would travel the world defending the title, including Japan against Jinichiro Tenru. But the best challenger there ever was was waiting for him in his home country. Next week, Starcade 1995. Uh oh. S T A double R. C A D E. I know, I didn't want to finish it. (laughs) Oh, thank you. Thank you, Shane, for finishing that. And it's in Jared's. Backyard. Yeah, that was the joke. Woo! Yeah, oh, Starcade though. Starcades make me nervous. It's alright, this one's got a cool, a cool vibe. There's not a battle ball. No battle ball. No Legends Knights, even though that wasn't Starcade. I'll believe it when I see it. Music from this week's show is In Your House by Jim Johnston and Bret Hart went our main event, so we play his theme music. Heart Attack by Jim Johnston as well. If you like this episode or any of our other ones, go out there, rate and review us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcasts at. Do as Michael says. Five stars or no stars. Come on. And if you have any questions, comments, concerns. Recipes, drink ideas, just food or beverage, something from wherever we're going. Nashville. I'm still needing some Philadelphia and Pennsylvania ideas because we keep popping back up here even when we're not in a, a sole ECW show. Uh, yeah, give me some ideas. You can send those to us on our email at WrestlingHistoryX at gmail.com or find us on Twitter at WrestlingHistoX. That's Wrestling H-I-S-T-O-X. We'll talk to you next week. Later.